Sound Pages is a literary series featuring resident artists in the Jack Straw Writers Program. I could have lost all the pressed leaves, the caged monkeys, the samples of curare, the dissected electric eels, the record of a dead language. This program features the work of 2015 writer Lisa Carcia, who writes as L.J. Morin. She discussed her work with curator Kevin Kraft. Why don't you tell us uh, about your current project? What are you working on during your Jack Straw Fellowship? The project that I'm working on for this fellowship uh, is an idea that came to me when uh, about 10 years ago. Uh, I was listening to the NPR program, Talk of the Nation, Science Friday, and Ira Flato had as his guest the sculptor Rachel Berwick. And she was talking about an installation that she had created based on a story from the life of the Prussian naturalist and explorer Alexander von Humboldt, who made a landmark scientific expedition in Latin America in the early 19th century. And the story that she based her installation on was that Humboldt was visiting a tribe and he overheard these parrots that this tribe was keeping speaking a language that was not the same as that of the tribe. So being a scientist, being very curious, he poked around and and discovered that or was told that these parrots were spoils of war and that the tribe that was keeping them had exterminated the tribe that was originally keeping the parrots. So the parrots were the, the last surviving speakers of this this tribe, known variously as the, the Maipore or the Atures. I, there are different sources called them different things. So when I heard that, that just struck me as so, such a startling event in, in somebody's scientific life and in, in the life of a language to, to be, you know, extinct except for these parrots who can only repeat what they've heard and imperfectly and, and in, in fragmentary ways. So what, what Humboldt did is he did transcribe the language that he heard the parrots speaking. And that idea just has stayed with me for a, a long time. And I, I felt like this was an opportunity to write a, a series of poems based on that. It has a lot of natural metaphorical quality, you know, the translation of experience through another medium, the parrot being a kind of physical incarnation of um, the poetic act in general. Well, why don't you share an excerpt of what you're working on with us? Sure. All right, I'll, I'll read the first poem. The whole group of poems is titled Venezuela 1800. And the first poem has an epigraph from Humboldt's narrative. So uh, the quote reads, Among the Guareca Indians, there is a legend that the brave Atures, chased by the cannibalistic Caribs, hid in the cataract rocks where they died out, leaving no trace of their language. At Maipures, you can still see an old parrot that, quote, nobody understands because, so the Indians say, it speaks the language of the Atures. One, Alexander. Thus far in his journey, Humboldt had recorded the temperature of the hot springs at Mariara, collected the seeds of the American gyrocarpus for Europe's conservatories, calculated the populations of Indians, Africans, Creoles, and European whites in Venezuela, measured the height of the Maipures cataracts with a barometer, identified a new species of tree frog, intentionally shocked himself with electric eels, dissected a nine-foot manatee, and documented the traditional recipe for curare. Later he would, 
inspect deposits of rock salt and coal outside Bogota, scale the eastern face of Chimborazo, fighting nosebleeds and hallucinations, fix for the first time the exact longitude and latitude of Havana, analyze the composition of the fumes of the volcano Pichincha, and pinpoint the Earth's magnetic equator. A man like that has a mine shaft down the middle of him, an inexhaustible need. When he, with his habit of noticing, heard the unfamiliar syllables falling from a parrot's tongue, he drew a new map, scribed sounds tracing back in time to silenced human throats. He tuned his ear to the overtones others would miss, the phonemes of ghosts. He set off into the jungle of the past, alone, holding up before him the torch of an impersonal love. Nice. What have you discovered about Alexander von Humboldt in reading and researching and writing about him that has surprised you? I was very surprised to learn, first of all, how, just how obsessed he was with his measuring and cataloging and documenting everything. And I just I can't imagine being so comprehensive under un- unbelievably difficult conditions, uh, being devoured alive by insects on the riverbanks of the, the Orinoco or climbing mountains in the snow with none of the equipment and gear that we take for granted today. Uh, just the amount of hardship that he had to undergo to get his data and how doggedly determined he was. But the other thing that really struck me about him was how, for his time especially, how what a humane attitude he had toward the indigenous peoples and the enslaved Africans he encountered when he was in South America. He was a passionate opponent of slavery. He deplored the oppression that the Spaniards had brought upon the Indians of, the, of that region. And, um, and he's very clear about that in his writing. And that wasn't something that I necessarily expected just from the little snippet that I knew about him from the story when I first started reading about him. Hmm. Yeah. Um, what has been the most um, uh, difficult perspective in to adopt or to engage with in this particular project uh, beyond Alexander? Trying to express something about the feeling of the lost tribe has been something that I've I felt as a was a, a challenge that I needed to work through I, I, I do that with the the second poem um, it t- attempts to speak in the voice of the people last song the, the the people whose parrots were the the last speakers so I tried to tried to capture that and tried to capture some of that sorrow and I, I found that it was hard to figure out how to figure out a way into that perspective for me. And what did it one day was just coming up with this rhythm that the poem has, these short lines and, and the, the pantoum structure with the repetition and the kind of a, kind of a wave-like movement. And that something about that carried uh, me along in a way that let me, let me access some of, that, uh, some of that feeling I was trying to go for. Is it exciting to try to get inside voices from other times uh, and places and characters? What about that yeah. uh, act appeals to you as a writer? I like that it, it enables me to throw some of the focus off of myself. 
while at the same time I have to go into myself to make that connection between uh, the, the emotional connection between the, the thing that I'm writing about and the voice and the person whose voice I'm embodying in the poem. So I like that tension and I like that sometimes if I'm trying to write about something that's happened to me, I don't know, my life's not that interesting. Um, so I, I have a little bit more, um, I feel a little bit more interested in writing about um, or in the voice of a person from a different time or a different place. Now we'll hear a selection from Lisa's live reading. Venezuela, 1800. Alexander. Thus far in his journey, Humboldt had recorded the temperature of the hot springs at Mariara, collected the seeds of the American gyrocarpus for Europe's conservatories, calculated the populations of Indians, Africans, Creoles, and European whites in Venezuela, measured the height of the Maipures cataracts with a barometer, identified a new species of tree frog, intentionally shocked himself with electric eels, dissected a nine-foot manatee, and documented the traditional recipe for curare. Later, he would inspect deposits of rock, salt, and coal outside Bogota, scale the eastern face of Chimborazo, fighting nosebleeds and hallucinations, fix for the first time the exact longitude and latitude of the port of Havana, analyze the composition of the fumes of the volcano Pichincha, and pinpoint the Earth's magnetic equator. A man like that has a mine shaft down the middle of him, an inexhaustible need. When he, with his habit of noticing, heard the unfamiliar syllables falling from a parrot's tongue, he drew a new map, scribed sounds tracing back in time to silenced human throats. He tuned his ear to the overtones others would miss, the phonemes of ghosts. He set off into the jungle of the past alone, holding up before him the torch of an impersonal love. Last song. When I am gone, when I am dead, will you know me? Will you hear me? When I am dead and my people are lost, will you hear me as a yellow whisper? If my people are lost, how can I fly to you as a yellow whisper in a river of voices? How can I fly to you on green wings? In a river of voices, one voice cries out. On green wings, our voices carry. One voice cries out to an alien time. Our voices carry all that survives to an alien time in broken song. If all that survives when I am gone is a broken song, will you know me? The Thread. We lived on the banks of the Orinoco. 
I went upriver in a pirogue with my instruments. I heard about it 200 years later on the radio. There was no other way to transmit our language after all of us were slaughtered. We slaughtered them, all of them, and brought their parrots back to our village. I collected so many specimens, the pirogue nearly capsized in the rapids. We were the last surviving speakers, you see. I wrote it down. Everyone feared us, the other tribes, the Spaniards too, when we went to war. I could have lost all the pressed leaves, the caged monkeys, the samples of curare, the dissected electric eels, the record of a dead language. Where are we now? I suspect the story's not quite true the way I heard it. All the words we ever said to one another, all the promises, all the arguments, shaved down to a sliver. I wrote it down phonetically. There is no word for it. Song. When I am lost, will you hear me whisper? My people can fly. On green wings, our voices carry alien voices. I am a broken song. This next poem will take us to some place and a time completely different from that. Uh, this poem is about the Japanese art of flower arranging. At the Ikebana lesson, Okawa, Japan. By the end of the hour, each arrangement will look like an object of reverence, <coughs> an ambassador of stillness. Out of each shallow bowl will rise a pure flower sculpture, grounded in water, cradled in air. Now, though, this room is filled with the laughter and chatter of old women and the crisp snipping sounds of seven busy pairs of hissing sharp black shears. The green odor of stem juice leaks into the air as white china mums lose their untidy leaves. Without hesitation, the women impale tough pine branches and tender daisy stems upon the spikes of the heavy iron frogs that lurk under the still surfaces of their private ponds. Rejected plant parts mount on the tables, no regrets, and petals soft as babies' skins pass easily through spotted hands this afternoon as these grandmothers practice the art of gathering light. I'll close with a short poem titled Invocation. I usually think of an invocation as coming at the beginning of something rather than the end, but I like to think of this poem as an invocation of everything that's yet to come in our lives, good and bad. Invocation. Come as a crab. Come as a green stem, hard and twisted. Come dry. Come as ache. Come as cedar and steam. Come as a blow to the head, 
as asphalt, come as the taste of metal. Come as the tug of velocity, come as a grapevine, come as blue breath. Come as a suture drawn through the skin, come as rosemary, come soon or come not at all, come as cursed rain, as rest. When light fails, when the chest collapses, come on runner's legs evenly striding, come as cosmos in the fields. Thank you. Sound Pages is a Jack Straw production. The 2015 curator of this program is Kevin Kraft. This episode of Sound Pages was produced by Daniel Gunther and Levi Fuller. Recording engineers are C.J. Lazenby, Tom Stiles, Mo Preventure, Daniel Gunther, and Steve Tatori. Narrator is Alyssa Keene. And executive director of Jack Straw Cultural Center is Joan Rabinowitz. Theme music by St. Helens String Quartet, produced through the Jack Straw Artist Support Program. The Jack Straw Writers Program is made possible with support from the City of Seattle Office of Arts and Culture, For Culture King County Lodging Tax Fund, the Washington State Arts Commission, the National Endowment for the Arts, Arts Fund, and individual contributors. All of the writers heard in this series are published in the Jack Straw Writers Anthology, available for purchase and featured online at jackstraw.org. Thank you for listening. Thank you.